all week, I've been trying to figure out what am I going to talk about this morning? What would the Lord have us think about as we're in our homes, with our families? And what keeps coming to mind is the word blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? What does the word blessing mean? Now, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but it seems really appropriate for our situation right now, which is really unusual. We're all in our living rooms. Some of us are probably alone and feeling extremely isolated right now. Some of us are with just a few people. Some of us uh, in larger families. Whatever our situation is, though, right now, it's a very, very unusual situation. But it's one of those situations where we have time to take a step back and think about the way that we live and what we value and reevaluate and reimagine the way that we live our lives. I keep thinking about like a person who lives an unhealthy physical life, who eats a lot of junk food, who doesn't exercise, who drinks too much soda, that kind of thing. Maybe they smoke and then they have a heart attack. And let's say this person recovers from the heart attack. Now they have a choice. Are they going to continue to live life like they did in the past? Or are they going to live life in a new way? Eating healthy, exercising, giving up bad habits. I think for our culture and for our families, this is one of those moments where everything has kind of changed. And now we can reevaluate you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and what do we want life to look like going forward. As many of you know, my parents uh, serve as missionaries in Southeast Asia. They're based in the Philippines, but they travel all around Asia. And they've had to fly back to the United States. And they're staying in the neighborhood here in Pennsylvania near my family. And uh, they had to leave because of the coronavirus. And I was talking to my mom the other day, and she was talking about what's happening in China. One of the amazing things is that the coronavirus has actually had a transformative effect on Chinese culture. So you have these major cities where uh, these pe people live in incredibly busy lives, similar to us, where they're just working hard all the time, not much family quality time, not much time together around the dinner table and that sort of thing. And what's happened since November with the shutdown that's happened there is these families, for the first time ever, have been forced to eat meals together every single day. They're sitting around the table, they're playing games, they're telling family stories, all of these things that had kind of gone to the wayside in the modern culture. And what many Chinese people are saying is that they never want to return to the way things were before. And so I think that while this is a really challenging, uniquely difficult time, it's also a time where we can sort of take a step back and evaluate our lives and focus on what actually matters, God, our relationship with the Lord and with one another, and then going forward, live in a new way. So what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about blessing. How is God's blessing flowing in this situation? How can we see his blessing? And how do we evaluate and how do we define blessing? Before we go to the word, would you join me in a word of prayer? And let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we're so thankful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. You never will change. This whole situation, not a single part of it is a surprise to you. You are completely unsurprised by what's happening. Father, we are connected into you through your word, through your spirit, through fellowship and relationship with you. And God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so the title of the sermon is The Lord's Blessing. 
rethinking and reimagining blessing in a difficult time. My question to start with is what does it mean to be blessed? In our individualistic, materialistic culture, when we talk about blessing, we typically are talking about stuff. In other words, if someone gets a new car, we would say, wow, they were really blessed, or God blessed them. Or if someone gets a new job or didn't lose their job, hashtag blessed. But that's not actually what blessing is. That's not the meaning of blessing. When we're thinking biblically, what blessing is, is something much deeper and richer than that. And some of you have heard me talk about this before. This morning, I have four biblical insights into what Scripture says blessing is. These aren't the only things we could say about blessing. The Bible has a lot to say about blessing, but these are four big things that I think are really important for us in this situation. Number one, to be blessed is to have awareness and access to God's abiding presence. True blessing is life with God. Number two, to be blessed is to live in the way of Jesus. True blessing is living and dying like our Lord. Number three, to be blessed is to share blessing. True blessing flows generously. It can't be hoarded. Number four, to be blessed means we cannot be cursed because God himself cannot be cursed. So starting with number one, to be blessed is to have awareness and access to God's abiding presence. True blessing is living life with God. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is from Ephesians chapter one. It's a passage I memorized when I was younger and in difficult times I often return to this passage. Now as I read from Ephesians chapter one and Paul's words to the Ephesians church, I want you to note what he says about blessing. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, God is blessed. He is the most blessed and all blessing flows from him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, you and me, are blessed in Christ, it says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means every single blessing that belongs to Jesus Christ has been given generously to you and I. In God's economy, in his kingdom, blessing flows generously. His kingdom is not a kingdom of scarcity. His kingdom is a kingdom of overflow. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you and me in Christ with every single blessing in the spiritual and heavenly places. Think about that for a second. All of the blessings that God has, all of the blessings that he pours out on his son, he generously in Christ shares with you and I. It goes on to say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So not only are we blessed, but we're chosen. It says we were predestined for adoption so that we might be called sons and daughters of the living God. It goes on to say that he's given us forgiveness. He's given us the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us. He's given us wisdom through his son. And he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. The blessings of God flow for the people of Christ in Christ, which is why the number one assumption that we need to have about blessing is this, to be blessed is to be with God. Right now, the, the term that we're going to hear and we've been hearing over and over again is the term social distancing. We probably hear it 
1,500 times a day. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that phrase over the last week, social distancing. And it's really important for our situation right now. What I'm really thankful for right now, though, is that Jesus is not socially distancing himself from you or I. So my challenge to you, one of my challenges to you this morning would be this, that every time you hear that phrase, social distancing, that you would remember and choose to thank God that he has not distanced himself from you. In Proverbs 18.24, it says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is that friend who stays closer to us than a brother. The Lord both sees you and he is with you. In John 15, this is the, the speech after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, after he's fed to them uh, the first Eucharist dinner, and then he's, he's speaking in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, these beautiful promises. And this is where he talks about us being the vine, um, and, or us being the branches and him being the vine and us abiding in him. He says, abide in me and I in you, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So with this in mind, remember that the blessings of God is his presence. The greatest blessing that God has ever spoken to the world is this, Emmanuel, which of course you know means God with us. Emmanuel. Blessing at its core is the invitation to live with Jesus. To be blessed is to know him. To be blessed is to walk with him. To be blessed is to know that he is with us, as it says in Matthew 28 through 20, one of the last things he promised. He is with us even to the end of the age. So that's point one. Blessing is about being with in the abiding presence of Jesus. Number two. To be blessed is to live not only with Jesus, but to live like Jesus, to walk in the way of Jesus. True blessing is living and dying like Jesus. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teaching that's ever been given in the history of the world. And this is how the sermon begins. It says in verse 2 of chapter 5, He opened his mouth, that's Jesus, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This word that's translated blessed in the English is the Greek word makarios, which means blessed, but it also, in a broader sense, it means that you're in a good place. You're living righteously. You're aligned with God when you live out these values. If you look at the nine Beatitudes and then you look at the life of Christ and you overlay them, you can see that how Jesus himself lived out each one of these Beatitudes. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. He was meek. He was a man of sorrows who mourned. He was merciful. He hungered and thirsted 
for righteousness, and so on. And we can see how the promise was fulfilled in him in each case. Now, this is the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. The other bookend at the end is where Jesus tells the parable that anyone who hears what he teaches and obeys is like a person who builds his house on a firm foundation. And when the storms of life, when the craziness of coronavirus or whatever's going on comes against it, the foundation is secure so the house doesn't fall. But whoever hears the words of Jesus and doesn't live them out is like someone who builds their house on the sand. So when the storms of life come, the house falls and it says great is the fall of that house. The idea here is this, that blessing is not only Jesus's presence. Blessing is when we live like him and obey him. Jesus said in John 14, a little bit earlier than John, the, the abiding passage in John 15. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So to be blessed is to not only live with Jesus, but also to live like Jesus. To be blessed is to both be with and walk with Jesus. Which leads me to the third point. To be blessed is to share the blessing. True blessing flows generously. It cannot be hoarded. As I said earlier, God's economy is one of overflow and generosity. The world's economy is one of scarcity. In the world, according to how things work in the world, when I have more, that means you have less. When you have more, that means I have less. And the poor among us, like the truly poor individuals in this world who, who live in abject poverty, know this better than anyone else. So often they are poor and impoverished because someone else, the 1%, has all the wealth. This is the opposite. It's the inverse of the kingdom of God where the more you have, the more I have. The more I grow in him, the more you are able to grow in in him. The more that love flows through me, the more love flows through you, and so on. We all know about what's happened with toilet paper and how people, for whatever reason, have freaked out and bought all the toilet paper in the world and no one else has any. This is a mindset of scarcity and a mindset of hoarding. But this isn't the only thing that people are hoarding right now. This morning I woke up early and I read this this article from the New York Times. And this is the title of the article. For some buyers with virus fears, the priority isn't toilet paper, it's guns. This is from the New York Times, March 16th uh, of 2020. Quoting from that article, this paragraph says, Gun and ammunition dealers said that they have seen an influx of customers with similar concerns in recent weeks, creating a spike in sales as coronavirus anxiety spreads. Reports of firearms and survival gear flying off the shelves have been widespread, including California, New York, Washington State, Alabama, and Ohio. Photos on Twitter over the weekend showed lines around the block at one Los Angeles gun shop. Not only are we hoarding toilet paper, we're hoarding weapons. Why? Why? What is it within humanity that would cause us to have such a mindset of scarcity and fear that we would take all the toilet paper and all the guns that we can get our hands on? This is the antithesis of what it means to flow in the blessing of God. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this in verse 15, take care 
and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus said also, what does it profit a man to gain the world but forfeit his soul? In 1 John 3, the Apostle John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In Hebrews 13, verse 16, it says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So to be blessed is to be with God, to live like Jesus, and to overflow with his blessings, not with a mindset of scarcity, but a mindset of generosity. Point number four, and the final point, to be blessed means we cannot be cursed, because God cannot be cursed. Remember, blessing is all about his presence. There's this really, really weird story in the book of Numbers, and that's a strange book to start with. But maybe the strangest story is of the prophet, the pagan prophet Balaam. You know, this is the guy, if you remember, who talks to a donkey. Well, the, the whole story, the context for it is Israel is approaching the promised land. And one of the places they have to go through to get there is Moab. And so the Moabites are really scared because the Israelites, this huge encampment and this army is coming towards them. So what the Moabite king Balak does is he hires this pagan prophet Balaam to curse the people of Israel. And if you remember the story, five different times Balaam tries to curse Israel. And five different times God takes that, that curse and turns it into a blessing. I'm going to read to you from Numbers chapter 23. This is one of the times where Balaam is attempting to curse the people of Israel. It says this in chapter 23, verse 5. And the Lord, this is Yahweh, God, put a word in Balaam, the pagan prophet's mouth, and said, Return to Balak, that's the Moabite king, and thus you shall speak. So Balaam turned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. But how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced. You can't curse what God has blessed because God's blessing is his presence. If you know this story, then you know what happens next. Balaam gives a piece of advice to the Moabites. He says, since you can't curse them, send your women into their camp to ensnare them. And so Moabite women went into the Israelite camp and seduced them to both adultery and to idolatry. And the wrath of God breaks out on the encampment of the Israelites. 
While Balaam couldn't curse God's presence, he couldn't curse God's blessing of the people of Israel. The people of Israel did have the freedom to step outside of that, to eat the fruit, to worship the idol, to commit adultery and idolatry. And I think this is a warning for us that even while God's blessing cannot possibly be removed by any spiritual attack, by any enemy, his presence is sure and promised. What we can do, though, is step out of it and ignore it and disobey it. So God's blessing, it's about his presence. It's about living like Jesus. It's about blessing others and flowing generously. And it's about living without fear, knowing that there is nothing that can remove his blessing and his presence from our lives. Romans 8 is one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. And I want to close with this idea from Romans 8. Paul doesn't list the word, he doesn't use the word blessing here. But in light of this discussion, hear these words, perhaps in a new way. He says in Romans 8, at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for you this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or coronavirus or social distancing? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning I woke up early to finish my notes on this teaching. And I got up at like 5 o'clock in the morning and uh, I had two of my children wake up. And they came and interrupted me, and I was really frustrated because I was trying to get ready for this. And it caused me to remember a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said that when we are interrupted, how we respond in many ways is the truest indication of who we actually are. If you think about the ministry of Jesus, his whole ministry was one interruption after the next. People yelling out for him, people grabbing him, people demanding things from him. And Jesus always responded with his true self. I don't. I often don't. I I often respond with anger, frustration. But how we respond to an interruption is an indication of who we are. What's happening right now is in many ways the largest interruption our culture has experienced in decades. Everything has come to a screeching halt. Industry, the economy, church services, family life, baseball, whatever. It's all been interrupted. You and I have the chance to respond. You and I have the chance to count our blessings, to soak in the presence of God and give thanks to him for his son, 
to be with him, to abide with him, and to live like him. This doesn't have to be a defeat because in Christ we are more than conquerors. So I want to invite you to use this as an opportunity to reevaluate and reimagine what blessing means, what it means to be in God's presence, and what it means to share his presence with others. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you never change. We receive your blessings today, most of all your presence and your words. Be with us. Be with each person. We love you, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.